morning. Uh, this morning's reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thanks, Simone, and also Nicola for those wonderful prayers. My name's Stephen Abbott. It's my privilege to bring the last in this four-week series that we've been looking at on uh, evangelism and our personal witnessing. Uh, Let me pray. (coughs) Excuse me. Heavenly Father, we ask that uh, your Holy Spirit will take these words about the Holy Spirit and uh, penetrate to our hearts so that we might be soft and malleable in his care, in his leadership and direction of our lives. May it be that we overcome our fears because we understand that we are called to uh, the ministry of Jesus, but not on our own resources, but with your resources. Encourage us this morning. Help us not to harden our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. A Brazilian uh, contact that I I came to know, uh, Caio Fabio, that is his real name. Um, He became a Christian out of a hippie, dope-smoking context. The day after he became a Christian, Caio bumped into three of his hippie crowd friends, uh, a former girlfriend and two of his mates. And uh, they said to him, we've, we've got some dope, we've got some grass, we're, we're going to go and smoke it together. You want to come and join us? And Kayo replied, the Kayo you know died yesterday. This one follows Jesus and doesn't do that anymore. If you try to make him, he's going to beat you up. You'll be pleased to know that Kayo uh, modified his evangelism technique later in life uh, and uh, I'm not commending this approach to you either, let me quickly say. But here's the rub, can we identify with Kayo's courage and conviction? 
I was converted at the age of 14, 14 and a half, 15, and I raced home and evangelized my eight-year-old brother with courage and conviction. That's a bit different uh, now. It's easy for me to get distracted, and I'll say more of that in a moment. During the Everyday Evangelism course, uh, those of you who are doing it will know this, but we ask a question about what fears lie beneath when it comes to being bold and courageous in sharing our faith. What are the fears that if we peel back the layers of our lives that lie underneath? And these are some of the fears that people talk about. They talk about the fear of ridicule. We, don't, we, we want to save face. We don't want to lose face. People speak about the fear of rejection, of losing friends or family if they push into that space. Uh, the fear of embarrassment, fear of mucking it up. I, I'm not sure what I should say. I might get it wrong. I might make it even worse if I, if I speak up. And so we withdraw and pull our head in like a tortoise before an enemy. If we pause for a moment and consider what lies behind these fears, we discover a sad and disturbing reality. We might love ourselves more than we love our family and our friends who do not yet know Jesus. Let me put that another way to maybe sharpen it. Are we more concerned about our friends or what our friends think about us than what God would think about them should they die without Jesus? How would we answer that question? What are we to do? Now let me quickly go on to say, I, I don't plan to preach today to make us feel guilty. You might feel guilty, and if God convicts you that way, that's his business. But my purpose is not to make you feel guilty. My purpose is to embolden you, to encourage you, to help strengthen you and enthuse you for the witness that we are called to. For Acts 1, 1 to 11 presents Jesus, the resurrected Lord of the church, setting up his disciples for their ministry to the world. And since we stand in their shoes, these words are our words. They're our commissioning. They call the church to be focused, but also to explain, they explain to us that we are empowered for this ministry. So let me look at those two concepts of being focused and empowered. Firstly, focused. It may seem an obvious point because all important tasks require focus. Can you imagine trying to watch TV and thread a needle at the same time? It ain't going to happen. You've got to focus to thread that bit of thread unless you've got some tool to do it, which I don't. So it is. All important tasks require focus. The disciples, though, were not on song with Jesus' agenda. He needed to get their attention so he could reset their focus. So we read in verses 6 and 7. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Uh, the reference to the Holy Spirit, it sparked for them that Jesus was ascending to the Messiah's throne, David's throne. And with the thinking about David's throne, the thinking of the kingdom of God, the thinking that Israel could be re-established as it was in David's time, as a leader on the international stage, a power 
And so it was that their minds went to that. They want the kingdom now. They want it present. They focus on the natural and geographical, political Israel and her restoration to the glory. And like spoiled kids, they want it now. Did you see that in the text? At this time, give it to us now. Avoid the mission, avoid the responsibilities ahead of us. So easy to be distracted. In Acts 1.11, they are distracted by his departure. So two heaven-sent men come to get their attention. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking at the sky? Jesus had just encouraged them to wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem before they commence their witnessing ministry. But they longingly focus on Jesus' ascension. But stargazing and sky-watching is not their vocation. Jesus will return, but on the Father's timetable, not theirs nor ours. Um, over these last couple of days, I was reading some of the CMS material and came across a little piece which just was really encouraging and on the very topic, so I just want to share it. It's from um, the missionaries Daniel and Olivia Webster who are working in Namibia. They write, speaking of children, it's important for the kids to look outside themselves and see what God is doing, to see the big picture, the bigger picture. Our culture, particularly in Australia, encourages a lot of navel-gazing. There's the distraction. And so I think it's really important for the children, for their own mental health and for reality and truth, to know that actually God's plan is bigger. And they are not at the centre of it. It involves the entire world. And by bringing our children on the mission field, they get to be part of that wonderful plan. The husband says it also helps the kids realise they have a purpose and a mission in life. It's bigger than just what the world says. That basically make yourself happy, another distraction. But this mission is for everyone. Our mission is something clear and exciting and big. It is good for the children to be aware of that. Isn't that great words? We need to hear those words. Under certain circumstances, we can be distracted from our gospel vocation and become navel gazers. Sometimes it can be understandable why that happens. It's still not an excuse. It can come in times of suffering and loss and broken relationships and despair when we begin to look inward and just focus on ourselves. We look for God to comfort us. We want to go home to the Father. But we can lose focus in other ways as well. Our careers, making money or making a difference to society can be a distraction. Academic excellence, seeking accolades from the crowds or pleasing our parents or ourselves can be a distraction. Uh, Developing a relationship, seeking a life partner, having children, these can distract us from God's agenda. I certainly look back on my life and know there are times when I've been distracted from God's agenda. The night before I married Sue, some 40, over 48 years ago, I prayed, Lord, don't come tonight. I want to experience marriage. And then before the birth of our three children, I also clearly remember saying, Lord, just, just let me hold the baby at least before you come back. 
before your agenda, before your work, until you get distracted on the things that I'm focusing on, not on the work of God and what he's about. It's really dangerous that we, we can simply embrace the distractions of the Pharisees who withdrew from society to join in their holy huddles because it's really comfortable to be together here, isn't it? It's great. We're all friends. I can talk about Jesus here and no one... No one's going to attack me, I hope, unless you say something radical. We can just hang out with our friends and feel comfortable. When these distractions are our focus, we fail to see. It's, it's like we're in a blind people fog. We don't see the new people. We don't see the lonely people, the awkward people and the seeking people. Our witnessing vocation drops from our line of sight. So like these disciples, we need to stay focused. We need to wipe away the fog that blinds us to the people around us. We need to see clearly the mission that we have been focused and called to. Let me try and do that for us this morning by looking at this text and asking, answering three questions. Whose ministry is it? Well, we read in verse 1 and 2, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Did we hear that? Luke's gospel described the ministry of Jesus while he was on earth. But the clear implication of Luke's second volume, Acts, is that it's about what Jesus would continue to do and teach from heaven. In other words, Jesus isn't lying around the beach in heaven seeking, seek, sipping pina coladas and waiting for his dad to tell him it's time to leave now and go and wrap everything up. No, the ascension of Jesus to glory, which ends Luke's gospel and begins Acts, signaled the termination of his earthly ministry and the commencement of his heavenly ministry. This heavenly ministry is exercised by his Holy Spirit, initially through the apostles, but ultimately through the whole community of faith. And he is also, we're told in Hebrews and in Romans, that Jesus is interceding and praying for the church's mission as well. Now this all underscores another of the unique elements of the Christian faith. Other religions regard their founder as having completed their ministry during their lifetime. God tells us through Luke that his lifetime, Jesus' lifetime, was just the beginning. The Lord is still about his doing and teaching. Now this is an important focus for us. You see, we are entering into the ministry of Jesus. We're not doing our own thing. We're just continuing his work. We're his servants we're his go-betweens, we're his ambassadors, we are his witnesses. We're engaged in the very ministry of our Lord. And this gives it enormous dignity and worth and value. So whose ministry? It's Jesus' ministry. What is the ministry? Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Our ministry is clear, isn't it? Witnesses. 
We testify to Jesus and we do it till the ends of the earth. Notice the disciples had wanted the king and the kingdom of God on earth. They want to hold on to it. Will you now restore the kingdom? We want to hang on to it, the power. They wanted the king and the kingdom of God on earth, but Jesus gave them the earth to witness to the king and his kingdom. Very different, although the words are very similar. Christ Jesus' disciples were both to announce what he had achieved at his first coming and to call people to turn and trust in preparation for the second coming. And we live between these two comings. The coming of Jesus at first and then he's leaving and then he's coming again. This is called the end time in scripture. It is the period of the church's ministry. The ministry of Jesus in announcing the truth of God about him to the world. It's a season of witnessing to the dying and rising Christ. Stop for a moment and think about this scene in Acts. Let me try and physically do something to help us picture it. Um, I want you to imagine, this is a big stretch, that I'm Jesus for a minute. And I'm going to ask 12 of you to stand. I'm going to tell you, I'll get Langdon again because he likes standing. I'll, um, I'll get, um, let me see, I'll get the Dinnings to stand. That gives me two more. Thank you. You need the exercise, I know. Um, let me see, let me see. Jim Language, could you like to stand for me, mate? Good on you. I can't see some of the faces down there, so I've got a... Tina, why don't you stand for me? Thank you. How many have we got? We've got five. I've got to help me count here. Um, let me see. Where, who else have I got? I'm going to spread it around a bit. Could, could a couple of you down there just stand? Dot at the very back on the right. The man in the mask and the lady next to you. I can't see you. Could you st- Thank you. That's very helpful. That's seven. Um, let's see. Who have we got down here? Uh, why don't Gary and Carol, would you like to stand for me? Thank you. And Janelle, since you're there, right there along the line. How many have we got now? One, two, some, three. For help me. How many more do I need? Two more people. Let me see. Down the back there. Who have we got? Um, I'm trying to see. Sharon, would you like to stand? And we'll imagine um, Simon is standing with you. Because Simon's a faithful witness. He's one of the faithful crowd who witnesses to Jesus. Here we are, 12 people. Now, I'm Jesus. I'm going to send you out to the Illawarra to convert it all. No, that's not big enough. How about Sydney? No. New South Wales? No, let's make it Australia. No, let's go global. You 12 are going to go to the world and convert it to Jesus. Does that seem a little overwhelming to you? Not because of who you are. Because the task is too big. Please be seated. Uh, where do we live? We live at the end of the earth. No one comes to Australia unless you're coming to Australia. You don't fly here just to go somewhere else. You fly here to come here. We're like the ends of the earth. And here we are in church and we're Christians. Guess what? It worked. Jesus wasn't joking. Twelve people could do it. Think of, to try and bring some perspective, think of a little hamburger store opening up in America called McDonald's or something. 
A guy has an idea about putting a half an apple on a, on a phone in a little garage. Ooh, who's got an apple phone? Ooh, it works. If the world can develop technology and do things and make it reach the world, do you think we can't reach the world still? Reach even just Illawarra for Christ? Particularly when we'll see in a moment we are empowered by God himself. Acts 1.8 acts a little bit like a table of contents. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 7. All of Judea and Samaria, chapter 8. And to the ends of the earth, chapters 9 through 28. Now the book of Acts begins in Jerusalem with a small locked behind doors, 100 or so people who still follow Jesus. Where does it end? Let's read where it ends. Acts 28, verses 30 to 31. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, where? In Rome. And welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that extraordinary? In the space of 20, 30 years, the gospel moves from Jerusalem to the center of the Roman Empire, the largest empire ever known to man at that time. And there it is freely being preached. That's extraordinary. What a wonderful spiritual ministry we are engaged in when following Jesus. A global enterprise to match any in its influence and power. But we know that this kingdom can't be found on a map. No, this kingdom's power is spiritual, not military. It is spread by witnesses, not soldiers. It is spread by the word, not the sword. And so we we have seen we are to be focused on Jesus' global ministry. We keep the faith, but not to ourselves. The Christian faith is deeply personal, but it is not private. We, every follower of Jesus, has good news to share. So what's the ministry? It's Jesus' ministry. Whose ministry? It's Jesus. What ministry? Witnessing to the message of Jesus. The third focus, how long will the ministry take? Verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, it will be unmistakable. The clear implication of this and the whole of the first 11 verses of Acts is that there is a sunset clause to the season of missionary witness. Just like we all have a sunset clause built into our lives, we'll fall off our perch at some point when God determines, so does witnessing. But when is that time? It is when Christ returns. And until then, we stick at the business. Now, we who live in New South Wales, over the past few years, have miserably watched our Blues team lose two minutes after the whistle should have blown, or after it's blown sometimes, because the team didn't stay on song till the very end, and they got pipped at the post because the Maroons didn't stop playing until the whistle blew. They kept going. And we in the Christian faith 
need to concentrate. We need to focus. We need to keep on pressing on with the gospel of Christ Jesus and never be satisfied that we've got enough because Christ will return when and only when the elect are called in and we are the ones who call the elect in along with God the Father. So we need to be focused. Of course, it's one thing to be focused about the mission. It's another thing to be empowered for the mission. Let me more briefly look at this issue. Which needs to be empowered? Let me give you a story of empowerment. I had the privilege of working in the United States for about two, three and a half years, and I got to know a guy there called Cody Risen. Just a picture of Cody. Cody's number 63. Um, He's not one of those defending. He was a part of the defensive line for the Cleveland Browns. He, he, played, he played for 11 years and he played all pro for two years, which means he was one of the best players in the country um, for a couple of years. Uh, Cody was a giant of a man. He stood 1.9 metres tall and 114 kilos. No fat. He was pure muscle. If he stood in a doorway, you had to ask him to move for you to get past him. He was huge. Uh, we got to know each other. He was a wonderful Christian man, a great heart for the gospel. I was doing some training in Cleveland, um, and I went to his church. And he won. I was staying at his home. He said, look, I'm, I've got a thing on tonight. Would you mind coming with me so I can attend? I said, sure, what is it? He said, I'm meeting with some of my old football mates. I said, are they all as big as you? He said, yeah, all but, but there's another guy coming who isn't football I said well at least there'll be some, someone my size he didn't say anything uh, we turned up in the daytime and walked in a very narrow alley to this incredible Mexican restaurant down the back street and there were these huge guys the only the other player who was not a football player was a basketball player and stood two meters tall so I was a shrimp let me tell you something when we finished the dinner it was pitch black and we walked out in this very dark alley that we had to walk down to our back to our cars if I'd been there by myself in a strange city called Cleveland, I would have been fairly nervous walking down this dark alley. I was empowered. <laughs> I had about a ton of human flesh walking with me. I strode down there as bold as brass. I was empowered externally by these muscular blokes who'd become my friends. We are empowered from an external source, but internally. But a much greater power, the very living power of God, the Spirit. Who initially empowered witnesses? Guess what? The whole Trinity. Look at verses 4 and 5. On one occasion, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of who? My Father that what he promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now the world grasps for power to dominate and rule. We're sadly seeing that with Putin and Russia over the Ukraine. But the spirit power the Father provides is to witness to his son so people have the glorious opportunity to embrace his rule. This verse declares that not only is Jesus continuing his work and the Spirit energizing our witness, but the Father has established this ministry in the first place. How empowering is it to know that the whole weight of the Trinity is backing 
the Christian enterprise, the witnessing to Christ to the world. Now we get some insight now to why 12 people, those who stood earlier, can convert the world under God's guidance and leadership. Because the kingdom of God was infiltrating the kingdoms of this world because the God of that kingdom was active in the endeavour. Who will continue to empower witnesses? Acts 1.8, the Spirit. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll witness to the world. Very interesting to note, the Spirit came on Jesus at the outset of his ministry. And the same pattern is repeated at the beginning of the church's ministry. If only we could get this. Sorry, let me put it this way. If only I would remember that. We cannot do gospel ministry, Jesus' ministry, in our own strength. We need the same spirit that empowered him to empower and guide us and comfort us in witnessing. But maybe we have a spirit problem. I'm a son of this wonderful Diocese of Sydney and I'm grateful for it. So I feel I can make the following comments because I am a child of this diocese. When I was in Melbourne Diocese for about five and a half years, people took great delight in telling me that the, the Trinity, a Holy Trinity in Sydney was Father, Son and Holy Scripture. I rarely joked, not because I was offended, but because there was too much truth in it. You see, it is possible to forget the Spirit. It's possible to let the third person, the Trinity, not have the role he should have. That he doesn't get a Guernsey, he doesn't get on the playing team, or maybe sometimes he doesn't even get on the reserve bench. We so push the Spirit down. We've been so nervous in overreacting to some views of the Holy Spirit that are wrong that we've sometimes pushed him out. Let me demonstrate from my own ministry. Um, I've just spoken about how the Holy Spirit from Acts is clearly at work in the work of the gospel work. You would have thought that if you were writing a course on everyday evangelism, that it'd be pretty hard to write a course like that without having a Bible study on the Holy Spirit, right? You'd think that'd be pretty hard. I, was, I did it. My first version didn't have a Bible study on the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was mentioned in passing. I was a child. I'm, I'm a child of my own family. I'm, I had the pedigree. And I was distracted. And I'm not saying all Sydney Anglican clergy have this view, but I think we have a tendency to not let the Spirit play the role he needs to play in our witnessing role. Another problem or danger is a more postmodern problem, I suspect, is that we can domesticate the Holy Spirit. What do I mean? That we personalize him. The Holy Spirit is in us to comfort and console us. He's there to clean house, uh, to convict us of sin, to keep us in line, to make us holy and set apart from the world. And there is a great deal of truth to that. But if that's where it ends, it's a lie of Satan. Satan always takes the truth and just twists it or doesn't give it all so that you get out of balance. Like all of his lies. For that view, that domesticated view of the Spirit fails to grasp the global international agenda of the Spirit. Yes, he does want a clean house. Yes, he does want to set us apart for Christ. But that, that ministry 
is so that we will be more effective in our witness. It's not a, a, a separate thing from witnessing. It's a fundamental aspect of witness, that we become more and more like Christ so that we radiate the truth of Christ to those around us. The manner of our witness is as important as the message of our witness. I love this little quote, let your natural life be spiritual and your spiritual life be natural. The spirit ought not to start on the bench waiting for the call to play. Rather, the spirit is at the forefront in living for Christ, not just not least witnessing. He's the star player in the starting lineup. We must never forget that the empowering of the spirit for the purpose of continuing is for the purpose of continuing the doing and the teaching of Jesus. The spirit is never to be lifted above the Lord Jesus, nor the Father. No, Father, Son and Spirit always operate in the unity of purpose. So witnessing requires us to be focused, not frozen. It calls us to be empowered, not entrenched. We must never embrace a decaffeinated Christianity. I was once... uh, I once used that image of decaffeination when I was preaching in a Chinese church and being translated. And the translator was brilliant. We were going rocketing along. And then I said, uh, we mustn't have a decaffeinated Christianity. And he looked at me and went. And it took about two minutes to work out what I was trying to say so he could convert it into Chinese. But you know what I mean, don't you? A decaffeinated Christianity, a comfortable personal faith which barely keeps us awake, let alone anyone else. No, we have a faith that is well and truly leaded, focused and empowered by the Spirit of God himself so we don't get entrenched in our own ways and in our own little family life together with no view of outside. Well, we've taken some time this morning to note in this last of our four-week series on everyday evangelism, that it is focused and empowered work. A ministry Jesus is at work in through us by the power of the Spirit. What does such a ministry look like? Well, let the book of Acts tell us. Luke provides, as you go through the book of Acts, a little summary statements of what's going on in the ministry, even in the midst of persecution and opposition. Let's listen to some of those summary statements. Acts 6-7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 9.31 Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Acts 12.24 But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Acts 16.5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts 19.20, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Yes, it's under the sovereign hand of God that people come to know Christ in the power of the Spirit. But it's the same Spirit that empowered those early Christians still lives in us. We should anticipate that if we live out the gospel that we will see people come to Christ. I open by noting some of the fears that we might have in witnessing and I suspect many fears flow from the reality that we forget that we are engaged in ministry 
with the help of the Spirit. We forget that. We have powerful backing. We're not alone. The Spirit is given to focus and empower us in Jesus' mission. There is an old Chinese proverb. I'm sure you've heard it many times before. If your vision is for a year, plant wheat. If your vision is for 10 years, plant trees. If your vision is for a lifetime, plant people. And I want to add an additional line. If your plan is for eternity, plant spirit-empowered Christians. And that's exactly what Jesus did and continues to do today. So sisters and brothers, in the name of Jesus, go into the world and be the household of God that is focused in the word, engaged with the world and empowered by the Spirit. Let's pray it will be so. Heavenly Father, we have been reminded this morning that we have been called to a vocation to complete and engage with the um, work and ministry of the Lord Jesus himself, um, his teaching. And we pray that we might mod- model that in our life and in our words that we might be faithful in our witness and that you, by your, by your grace and kindness, will call many, many people to the Lord Jesus to join your church, not just here but everywhere. Help us to be faithful. And may you, through the work of your Spirit in us, bring glory to your name as many come to know Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.